0: Well, we're really happy to welcome Maria DeVanzo to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Maria is the Chief Evangelist Officer at Trilliant, and I'm really happy to have Maria here. And before I welcome her, let me give everybody a little bit of a background about Maria. Maria was appointed in July 22, 2022, as the CEO or Chief Evangelist Officer at Trelion which is an online compliance training provider that helps thousands of organizations to foster safe ethical cultures of respect and inclusion with behavior-based solutions. And as the CEO, I like to, let's, let's just say Maria is the CEO is responsible for listening to customers, improving the customer experience at Treliant. And she brings over 15 years experience in creating ethics and compliance programs, at global organizations she's a recognized leader in ethics and compliance and brings deep expertise to elevate treliant's thought leadership and delivery of valuable products and services to the marketplace now prior to joining treliant maria served as the, C- the chief ethics and compliance officer and chief privacy officer for cushman and wakefield a global leader in commercial real estate ser- services and she implemented an enterprise compliance and ethics program and created a global data privacy program with a focus on GDPR and Con- California Consumer Privacy Act. And prior to that, Maria served as Deputy Chief Compliance Officer of AIG Asset Management. Welcome, Maria. We're so happy to have you join us today. And that's a, a, quite an impressive background.
1: Thank you, Michael. I'm really happy to be here and I appreciate that introduction. Thanks so much.
0: And I was saying to you before we got started, one of the things, Maria, that I just find valuable about speaking to people in your position as a CEO and chief evangelist officer, which I really like that title, it says a lot about your company and and your role, is that you've done the hard work as a chief ethics and compliance officer. And now you have the opportunity to sort of bring solutions to people you know in the industry and people to try and help them. And I will say one other thing that I always say about the compliance industry, it's an incredibly collaborative profession. People help each other all the time. And so I sort of just wonder what you're bringing that perspective to people. How do you see your role and the value in that? Because you've you've been in the trenches there trying to get a, a program implemented and working.
1: Yeah, no, it's a completely unique perspective, of course, that I have, and I take a lot of what I know for granted, right? I'll be in conversations with our teams internally and external customers, and I'll be able to just bring to them my experiences, my expertise, and it's just so simple for me to do that, right? And so I think it'll be really beneficial for both the company and, and more importantly, our customers. I mean, I've only been there for two months, right? And um, already, it's just, I've I've had a lot of really great, Meaningful conversations with so it's, it's really great. I'm, I'm having a lot of fun.
0: And and what since you were in that in the trenches and whatever, what was what was it that led you to Trelion?
1: Yeah, you know, I have a, a long standing relationship with chief executive officer, CEO John arendis and so John and I okay. uh, had it in January and he told me that he was going to be thinking about this role and it um it just seemed like such an interesting way to to leverage my career. I'd been at Cushman for 10 years and I you know, put the program in place and, um, you know, it was time for a new, a new challenge, right? A new change and uh, John presented that. And I, you know, I the it. And I already
0: see, and I, I already saw you had an article published on corporate compliance just recently, and I see you as sort of a thought leader in the ethics and compliance space, but I mean, how do you see your role in terms of as the CEO, let's call you the CEO, I like that, but in terms of because you you are a thought leader, you're putting out there ideas which I think is going to generate a lot of interest, but also how do you then how do you then bring that to specific clients or specific companies that you're working with?
1: Yeah, sure, so there's really three legs to this school that is this CEO position that we created, right One is the thought leadership. The other is lending credibility to our sales team, educating our sales team on the products, et cetera, and listening to the customer. So I've joined a couple of customer calls to, to hear what they're saying about the product, what is it that they'd like to see. And then I work with our content team on, on the, the content that we currently have, how to enhance it, you know, make it better, add some features that customers are actually asking for, and then sharing with them some ideas of what I'd like to see. When I was a buyer, what, what right. would I have loved to right. achieve? Right? So it's those three legs of the stool that, that really make up the role.
0: One thing that I think is really important in your role, and I, I know you do this because it, everybody in compliance does it, is every, when I deal with clients on legal and compliance issues, they always want to know where do we stand? What do you see people doing? They want like some benchmarking ideas and are we doing okay? And there's sometimes where you can reassure people that I've seen this, I've seen a lot of people do this, and you guys are handling this the right way. Um, But people sort of want to know where they stand a lot of times because they're so busy working on their program. Do you see like a role for yourself in that way in terms of working with clients?
1: Yes, to some extent, certainly sharing best practices. We're trying to develop a compliance advisory council. and We reached out to to several of our clients to say, "Are, are you interested in this? And I would share that with a board or a council in which they could come and we could talk about that uh, a ben- benchmarking best practices. What have I seen? How have I seen it done? Because to your point, compliance is one of the most collaborative groups of folks that I, you know, ever right. worked. I started my career. A lot as better a trial. than
0: lawyers. A oh lot better yeah. Than
1: I was about to say <laughs> I started my career as a trial lawyer and that was not the case, right? So Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, that that collaboration and, and, and perhaps formalizing
0: Right. You're going to find right. Well, I love the idea of you, st- you know, throwing together a council because those, it, when you bring people together, good ideas come from that. And that, right. and I, I think it helps the, your, your company as well, just to learn as much as you can from people and what they need. And, and usually they're good ideas that sort of flow in the industry from that. So I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, Maria, one thing I want, we have to turn to sort of the Justice Department recently with its new corporate enforcement policy, with the evaluation of corporate compliance programs. And I want to, to me, it's a welcome sign to see the Justice Department. I kind of feel like they were a little slow to get on the bandwagon of the importance of corporate culture and ethics, but they're finally here. And Where do you, I sort of want to get two thoughts. Obviously, you're a leading training provider and training obviously plays a critical role in creating a culture of compliance and maintaining it and even monitoring it, but also to get your thoughts generally on corporate culture and the importance of that and and how you guys fit into helping people to create this corporate culture. Yeah. So corporate culture is key
1: to having an effective compliance. You know, right. If, if, if you have a culture in which, for instance, people are afraid to speak up, right? they're afraid of retaliation, right. that's just not going to lend itself very well to, to what now the DOJ is looking companies to, to look like, behave like, feel like, right? And is a, is a key part of that, creating that culture of compliance, because, you know, communicates to employees the, the fact that the company takes this seriously. Right. And so, what do I mean by that? You just roll out off the shelf training where there's nothing really special about it. It's the same thing year after year. It's boring. It's not, you know, tailored. It's not specific. And an right. employee's going to react and say, the employee doesn't care. You know, they don't really care about right. this. The employees aren't stupid. They can see that it's off the shelf and it's sort of a box checking exercise. Right. But if you roll out, Communications and training that I normally use the word tailored, not customized, right? Because what we do at Trelawney is really tailored. If it's tailored to the organization, to the industry, to the, to the diversity of the employees that you have in that organization, right? And I mean going beyond colors and logo and a copy of the code I'm talking about right. you have a CEO message in the beginning, right, from your company CEO, and you have pictures and, and graphics that come. Out of the company itself, maybe from their marketing group on the website or what have you, um, and you you're talking about a hotel. You put the, the the scenarios in the context of people that work within a hotel, right? The maids, right. the customers, what have you, and with with regard to whatever specific issues your company is is addressing, now employees say, "Wow, that had that, that took some effort, right? It took some resources. Right. The company really cares about this." Leadership means what it says. And so people start to feel feel better about participating in that compliance program. And that adds to a better culture, which will help improve all the other things that the DOJ is looking for, even, in my opinion.
0: Wow. Let me tell you, I know now why you're the CEO, the evangelist, <laughs> because you hit every, I, I mean, you couldn't have said it any 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 better and more fittingly. I'll I'll tell you, like one time I have a client where somebody wrote in response to the training, they said, okay, I understand our values and I understand, but I have no idea what 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 does that mean to my job and what I do every day. And what you're saying is put a lot of thought and effort into tailoring the message so that you do answer that question. Here are our values, and here's what it means. Like an example in the hotels, you may right. run into this situation. Here's what we expect you to do or would like you to do, and here's why. I mean, that's what you're saying, in a sense, right? To answer that question.
1: Exactly, exactly right. We give them the guidance ahead uh, of time on how they might be in a particular situation. That is meaningful to them, right? Because otherwise, Michael, it's toned out. Okay. If I roll right. out office based training, to somebody that's working out in a in a plant somewhere, right? Or in a hotel. Right. That doesn't, that's not helpful. That's checking the box. And the DOJ is going to see right through that, right? They're going to exactly. know. Exactly. You know, exactly. They're not stupid people either. They're very smart people. And so They're going to know. You're just doing it to just say, okay, we got it done. Cross that off. Right? But it didn't mean anything.
0: But that, and and they've been, they've made some general statements about this. But what you're saying is like take your training and take it to a new level. So for, I'll give you one example that I I love. I actually was asked to speak at the national meeting of accounts payable people. Okay. Okay. In the entire country at Disney world. All right. I mean, it was a lot of fun, but I will tell you this. What I learned from that was if we train and put a training program together for accounts payable people, they're ready to help. Compliance they're ready to look for red flags in invoices in payments in everything, and they'll escalate it up and so what you're saying is tailor the training to the audience and make it meaningful to that audience, so then you could have you'll have ambassadors or allies in your in your battle, which is like accounts payable you know what exactly. I'm saying
1: and i I, I do and know. so I've been asked
0: by clients, okay, can you put together a training? slides and presentation for accounts payable. To me is why weren't they thinking that way a long time before? And what you're saying is start to think of your audience.
2: That's
1: right, start to think of your audience. The DOJ the, the expects that as well, and that's part of your risk assessment, right, Michael? You're not gonna just right. roll, roll out anti bribery and corruption training, for example, necessarily to everyone, unless you need to create a baseline, right? So when I was in the chair as a CCO, Cushman, I built the program from the ground up and they are never had done any revenue training. So year one, when we it wow. out, I rolled it out to everybody who was tech enabled in order to create a baseline of understanding. Of, of knowledge, of, right. Of knowledge of the issue. Right. And then right. the following, I think we did it every other year, the, the year, the next time we did it, we did it on, on a risk basis. So for example, which business lines created the most risk? Exactly. Right, it was geography. It went out in India. It went out in China. It went out in Brazil. Right, Uh, but it didn't necessarily go out into my my administrative people in Kansas. Right, right,
2: right, right. Yeah, yeah.
0: But that may and 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 then are you saying that going from your experience before you you even you get a baseline, but then you're saying you you tackle discrete groups based upon their risk profile. In other words, if there's a high risk operation in India, you would do a certain level of training for them on top of the basic for the next year or whatever. Is that what that, you're saying?
1: That's that's right. From from a program perspective, right? When right? you're Trying to decide what your program looks like. Because you and I both know the reality is compliance typically has very limited resources, right? Right. And so you need to make the most out of what you have and have the most impact. And I think if you had a problem, if the company had a problem, I'd like to think if the GOJ came in and they saw that that was the approach a chief compliance officer took, they would know that that chief compliance officer understood what the company risk profile looked like and where they actually needed to mitigate risk, right? And and therefore, it's a real program, and it's somebody who's knowledgeable about what needs to be done, as opposed to, you could get anybody in the chair that just rolls out training broadly use
0: arms right. broadly but that's not an effective compliance right but and and the the idea of like off the shelf training which isn't tailored to me is just it's a recipe for disaster because people look at it and say where's your risk profile how did you come up with this why is your program like this in terms of your training
1: Correct, and your message then is going to hit hit a little land a little bit better if it's done within a, a context that people can have, employees can actually identify. Oh, yeah, that the, I do that. That's the job that I do now. Now it makes sense to me.
0: Right? Yeah, let me raise a, an issue that I wrestle with a lot. And how do we how do we in the training space how do we make sure that people are learning? what it is and there's all this measurement of learning idea, but how do we make sure that people are really understanding it and getting the message beyond a simple check the box type of question? What does FCPA stand for? Something like that.
1: Well one of the one of the ways that we at Treliant um are, are looking at it and what we're developing. I think we're about to come out with it um is what we call question level reporting, right? And so mm-hmm. within our LMS we have the capability to identify the number of attempts it took for an employee to get a particular question right and Ooh, we can pull, yeah right. we can pull we can pull reports out as as which questions did this particular employee get wrong and how often etc and then we we can send that information that data to the compliance officer who then can use it for for a couple of things one most obviously send out supplemental training to that
0: person right or okay. follow up you know, yeah follow up yeah.
1: exactly, do some follow up with that person and then. They can also sort of at a, at a more macro level, take that information and they can use it to inform their internal stakeholders, like internal audit, for example, where the risk areas are for the company, maybe risk management, right? Also, and equally as important, the board. You go to the board on a quarterly basis if you're CCO of a public right. company. Now, now you can tell the board what you're seeing with regard to the, the uh, question level reporting, the, the effectiveness of the training, what are they learning, and then how did we follow up? And as I as I sort of alluded to earlier, the allocation of resources. When you're when you have a limited budget and a limited number number of heads, if you are seeing that the the guys and gals in your India operation within property management are consistently getting FCPA questions wrong, you might want to reorganize your compliance program so you have people that are actually on the ground there in India instead of in other parts of the business where they are getting the questions wrong. Right, right. Uh, and so so that's something we're coming out with. The other thing we do too is we survey learners after the, the training, and and so they uh, can answer questions about how likely are they to apply what they've learned to their business. And so we have so yeah, a survey have some, type
0: yeah, thing, right? Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. Right. So those
0: are some and ways that, in which we're trying. And to that work. was where my client got that question: and said, "Hey, I understand all this thing about values, but I don't get where it goes to my job," and that gives you a, a feedback loop that you can then address in, so, in some way. So that's interesting. So let's, okay, and I know this this is kind of an open-ended question, but what I see now is our risk environment is broadening and broadening. I mean, not to date myself, but 10, 15 years ago, we were talking about anti-corruption risks, and that was the big one that everybody was dealing with. Now we have sanctions which with the Russia and whatever. But we also have many other risks, that data privacy. I saw you were a data privacy officer. And in, I mean, in the ethics and compliance space, what are you learning about the current risk environment challenges? While you're talking to people, what's top of mind in terms of what are you seeing that people are really struggling with? And are they getting overwhelmed with sort of the risk environment?
1: Yeah, I mean it's a lot of what you've already mentioned, right? Obviously the internet level collection is always at the top right um, d- data privacy and security, especially cybersecurity, is something that's keeping folks, right? Um, right. The the whole the whole world of ESG, right, and ESG reporting and having ESG program is certainly something that compliance officers are struggling with and how do they fit into that, right? ESG is is a funny one because the other stuff that we talk about is singular really compliance office so compliance function it may be evil. right but ESG there's multiple stakeholders right so now you've got to coordinate and I and, think and collaborate with the HR partner you know perhaps your sustainability to, to, to address some of those those risks in those ESG buckets and overarching all of it now is the fact that we're dealing with a much more aggressive DOJ
0: right across exactly. the
1: board not just with regard to FCPA right
0: so, no 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 more I mean they are out there And I always say you can watch when you see resources put into things, that means they're going to do something. But I also wanted to say, though, in terms of the risk environment, it just seems to me like cybersecurity is so big, data privacy has become bigger, and ethics and compliance seems to, they should have a role in all of those, okay? But ESG, to me, and I got a little bit of flack for this. I don't think that ESG should be the responsibility of a chief ethics and compliance officer. You can't put that whole program on there. There, but let's remember the G, which is governance, and also chief chief ethics and compliance officers sit in a unique place. They already see across the organization. That's right. They already know how to manage risk and. Bringing in so if they're not at the table for ESG, to me that's a problem. They should be a valuable partner in that program. Um, what do you What do you think? Yeah, about?
1: I'm surprised that you would get flagged for that position because that's that's 100 spot on as far as I'm concerned. Right? Yeah, the way I've seen it is legal, the general counsel, right, sitting above compliance, typically has the overarching responsibility, you know, for ESG. But certainly the ethics and compliance. Person, group, whatever needs to have a seat at that table. When you look, when I look at ESG reports, I see right. I see anti-bribery and corruption as one of the major areas right. that all of these companies are touting their their efforts in. And so, how do you report on that? How do you how do you tout those efforts if your compliance team isn't that doesn't have a seat at that ESG report?
0: Exactly. Yeah, but they but also sustainability reports I've seen for years, going back to the even the oil industry. They were giving hotline reports. Here's how many hotline, come, here's how many people we disciplined this year. We have a meaningful reporting system right.
2: yeah. that
0: helps to maintain our culture. So to me, these are all issues that compliance has to be at the table about. But I also think compliance people know how to deal with a lot of these issues. You know how to address risk based upon your job. Uh, and your job experience, and you know how to manage risks, and that's what we're talking about with ESG, in, in a sense.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I, I agree with that, assessment with
0: people, but... Yeah. Now, you mentioned DOJ, and obviously DOJ has definitely made its mark. I had recently a, a talk with, with David Last, who's the head of the FCPA unit, and I asked, him and I said, "So I understand there are more cases coming." He goes, "There are definitely lots more cases coming, and they're emboldened right now. They've gotten more resources, more lawyers, more FBI agents assigned, and they're also embedded in the DOJ offices now. One squad is to make it even easier for them to work together." But what do you see in terms of foreign bribery and and mitigating these risks and staying on top of these? What do you see as some of the challenges? in terms of foreign bribery issues.
1: Well, well just, for, just for for a moment, if I may, one of the, uh, yeah. of all the activities that, that they're, they're engaging with, the and or the enforcement, et cetera, wh- one thing that really struck me, uh, and you know they really mean it when they do this, not only are they adding resources, for the first time, really, they're adding compliance expert resources, right? So, AAG right. a- police has a compliance background. And my understanding is, and I forget the company, but there was another individual they just hired, I think, to
2: work.
0: Matt Calvin. Yeah, Matt Calvin right. from uh, Anheuser-Busch. That's right. Who I, I know. Right.
2: Yeah. Really?
0: yeah, we all know them because Matt was doing great data analytics work. He was. And they put him in there to do data analytics.
1: That's right. And so that's that's a big, you know, that's a big scene. That's a big message to bring right. in those folks. Because you while, know, well, if, if you don't have people that have, my perspective that have sat in the seat coming in to look at the program right. like how how well can they actually get it like can they get it right if they haven't done it right but now you have people who've actually done it so that's that's an observation i had as far as challenges of mitigating risk far-flung jurisdictions doing work in a far-flung uh, jurisdiction right. is really, really important. and you know, as you as you can pro- as you probably know local custom and practice is just it's just a killer. Like if you're sitting yeah. if you're sitting in New York, Chicago, LA, DC, wherever in the US, um and you're telling your folk on the ground in Sao Paulo or in India or in right. China that you can't do X, Y, or Z, you're in all likelihood you're gonna get a lot of Yeah, okay, okay, okay. But when you get the cases that come across your desk and they will come to you, you look at them and you see what the heck happened and what you hear is, Oh, that's the way we do it down there. It's That's the
2: right.
0: way we do it here. Yeah. Yeah. So. One of, uh, I was just on a panel with the Andy Dunbar is his name and he's the chief ethics and compliance officer at Herbalife and they have a deferred prosecution mm-hmm. agreement and they're, he's rebuilding the program. Yep. Yeah. And what, what he told everybody, and I, I wanted to see if this idea resonates with you because you're talking about it in a way, is subcultures. He's finding out that within his company, a global company, what you're talking about in terms of subcultures, that they had local, there were local customs that were done and that created a subculture to their entire global culture. And how do you address, and that to me seems like a hard issue. How do you address that? I mean, the proverbial case used to be, we want to give mooncakes to various government officials in China. Or
1: the red envelopes, right?
0: Or the red envelope. On- yeah. And there's certain things that they just have, they you want to try to work with them to make sure they can do certain things. But yeah. obviously, there are things that they can't do.
1: Well, right. I mean, one of the things, for example, that I did when I was in a seat in China, you mentioned China. China was really a challenge when I got there and I wrote out the anti-bribery and corruption policy, which, by the way, they did not have. When I got there, even though they were doing business right. in 55 countries around the world, including China. I rolled it out, and I sent it to my team on the ground, and I said, so what do you think? Does this work, right? Because that's an important thing. It's got to work. And I got all kinds of pushback. This isn't going to work here. The mooncakes, the festival gifts, all of that. And we spent a lot of time creating a specific business courtesies policy for China, Mm -hmm. China only, China only, only that had different thresholds for approvals, different allowable things and certain for certain festivals subject to review by the local compliance officer etc but the the reality is you can't do that for every country you know how many policies you're going to end up with that are just going to be completely impossible to like you just said
0: you had 55 countries you can't have a a separate one for each country you can't but
1: we thought china was high risk enough to do that to do that for, for china so you do need the policies, uh, you need appropriate practices, right? I know you just have policies, right. you need practices, approvals, reviews, et cetera. The training and the communications, as we talked about earlier, appropriate controls built into company systems, right? So you talked a little bit about having the accounts payable people, I think, you know partner with you. Right, you, right. You need that as well. You got to give advice on how to handle issues and do the audits, but I got to tell you one thing. That I would love to have seen when I was in the seat in a, hand, a handful of jurisdictions. Honestly, is to have a U.S. guy or gal overseeing that group for some period of time. I I agree with you. Right,
0: I agree with you. You you hit the nail right on the head because what I've seen is when you have a local compliance officer. And it could be a U.S. person, or just somebody that's going to adhere to whatever it is. It doesn't have to be a U.S. Right, person, sure. but is going to enforce and, and is part of the co- co- company. Then a lot of things can be sort of leveraged. You can create a relationship. That person can create a relationship that you can then build on as the chief compliance exactly. officer.
2: Right. You know what I mean? So, yeah, absolutely.
0: well, listen, we we've come sort of to the end of the end of the line here. But this is Maria. I think you've given out a lot of great advice. Um, and if people wanna reach out to you to speak to you, I would encourage people to contact Maria. She's just a terrific resource in her in her new CEO role. Um, how do they get in touch with you? What's the best way to reach you?
1: Yeah, the best way to reach me would be through LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn and so if you just want to connect with me there, that'd be great. And I would I would welcome that.
2: So please, please
0: do. Well, Maria, thanks again. Mm-hmm. Terrific. Great good luck in the in the new position. I know it's it's gonna be a a lot of fun for you. I can already sense all your energy and you're ready to you're ready to help people and and you you have just a great spirit to you and it's been a real pleasure to to talk with you and thanks for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Michael. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks again for listening to Corruption Crime and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkov Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. You can learn more about the legal and compliance services we offer at our website, www.volkovlaw.com. You can also follow our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can contact Michael Volkov at his email address, mvolkov at volkovlaw.com.